and welcome to HealthQuest, dedicated to nutrition and your good health. Support for HealthQuest has been provided by some of America's best nutritional companies. And now, HealthQuest, with your host, Steve Lankford. Welcome back to HealthQuest. I'm your host, Steve Lankford. Thanks for joining me. I'm glad you're here. I have what's going to be the first of a series of interesting programs. We're going to explore nutraceutical mushrooms. Maybe you've heard about the power of mushrooms and what they might be able to do to enhance your health as a nutritional product. There are a variety of mushrooms and a lot of different benefits that perhaps you haven't heard about. That's our context today. I've invited Mark Kaler to join us. Mushroom Wisdom is a company that's been manufacturing nutraceutical mushrooms for many years. They've been involved with research of mushrooms, and so they know very well what the benefits are. Mark, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's good to have you back. You and I have spoken often about the benefits of mushrooms, and I'm excited to share this because a lot of people may not realize that there are actually beneficial mushrooms. My brother is a good example. He goes, mushrooms, there's no nutritional value in mushrooms. Everybody knows that. And, of course, he's thinking of maybe the white button mushrooms, but that's a common misconception that people have. And so hopefully we're going to clear up some of those misconceptions and lead people to a much broader understanding of the benefits and the exciting world of these nutraceutical mushrooms. Before we begin, tell our listeners a little bit about your history and how it is that you became involved with Mushroom Wisdom. Well, I've been involved in the natural products industry for well over 30 years. I kind of backed my way into it. I actually grew up in small-town middle America. I'd never heard of health food. I'd never heard of health food stores. I'd never probably even eaten anything particularly healthy growing up. I went away to grad school, and one thing led to another. My eyes started opening up. There was a health food store down the street. I wandered in there. I eventually got a part-time job while I was going to grad school in the health food store, and it just awakened, uh, I guess, an interest that I have that I didn't know I had in natural products and natural healing kind of a different way of looking at the world and responding to it. And that led to a whole series of different paths that I had the opportunity to walk, the chance to study with a number of indigenous healers, traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, a shaman in the rainforest in Peru, a Cherokee medicine man in North Carolina, studied nutrition, naturopathy, a number of different healing avenues, I guess, trying to put it all together. And I think what really attracted me or moved me into the the area or territory of mushrooms is I have a real strong interest in a a tonic orientation. And by that, I mean remedies that are about more than just treating diseases or more than just alleviating various symptoms. They're about really enhancing the overall organism and increasing vitality, ideally increasing longevity. I got into that because I worked with the HIV AIDS community when I was in Chicago, and I found that these really more systemically oriented nutrients and supplements tended to have almost a more profound action or response in, the, in their healing. And that just piqued my interest. And I just started studying and exploring it more, using it more and more in my own practice. And I'm a huge mushroom fan for health and healing, whether it be therapeutically or just overall enhancement of our life and vitality. Did you actually have a practice where you worked with clients at times? 
Yes, I did. Before I joined Mushroom Wisdom in a full-time position, I actually consulted with them for well over 10 years, 15 years probably. But I was in private practice in Southern California. I worked primarily with late-stage cancer patients. I also worked with what I call the unnameable and untreatable. And these are individuals who had diseases or imbalances that Western medicine either had no name for it, or they were individuals that had a disease that they had a name for, they just didn't have a treatment for it. So I come from a background of really working with the, the more difficult situations. I used to kind of joke with my clients that it would be nice if someone would come in with a cold or flu or toenail fungus infection or something like that that wasn't life-threatening, but that just wasn't my path. And this is another way I think that these tonic remedies really fit into things because I think when we deal with these chronic disorders, and particularly these life-threatening disorders, there's a need to build up that life force, that chi, that dynamism, all at the same time, we're harmonizing and balancing things. And again, that's where tonics, and in particular, I think medicinal mushrooms play an incredible role, as well as bringing an incredible array of specific healing actions and benefits that we'll talk about individually later. That's an interesting concept, the idea of tonics. Tonics are about more than just the compounds, more than just the vitamin B content or folic acid or beta-glucans or polysaccharides. It's really, I think, an energetic process as well. And I think it also has to do with the range of compounds and constituents that we're talking about. For instance, the reishi mushroom has over 100 different triterpenes in it, which allows it to do lots of different things. So while we may call a mushroom shiitake or reishi or coriolis, and we think of it as one substance, it's actually not one substance. And oftentimes, it's dozens, if not over 100 different compounds, many of which either have medicinal benefits individually or they have medicinal benefits in the complex and mixed with other things. So I think it's more than just that compound or nutritional element to it that it brings to the table. And I think tonics are also about a different response and a different effect in the body. In traditional Chinese medicine, they talked about three levels of medicine. And the grossest or lowest level of medicine was basically medicine, which is how we practice in this country. And there's certainly a role for it. I, I'm, by no means I'm arguing against it. But it's like if somebody has a runny nose, it's okay, we're going to drop that runny nose. Let's deal with the fever. Let's deal with the infection. Very symptomatically oriented. The second level in traditional Chinese medicine, or the second category, was one that was really talking about prevention of medicine. And I'm certainly a big, huge fan of prevention of medicine. But the highest level, what they called superior medicine, these were remedies that actually took it to another level. They're talking about being a better you, about enhancing your vitality, making everything work better, you know, maximizing the gifts that I think we're all born with. And I use the phrase radiant health when I talk about it a lot. I really believe that's our birthright. And I think many of us walk around, if not in a mental fog, but certainly in a health fog, really kind of a subpar performance as far as our physiology and the way our bodies work. And what these tonics do is they enhance it and bring our health to a different level so that we don't have to wake up and grab two or three cups of coffee, so we don't have to have these stimulants to get us through the day, so we don't have to be constantly taking allergy medicines, those types of things. So tonics, I think, really take our health to a different level with a true focus on health rather than just the symptomatic approach. It sounds so intriguing because I'm happy to get away from the symptomatic approach. We all seem to be stuck in this where we think of nutrients sometimes like we think of drugs. I have this symptom, I take this pill. I have this symptom, I take this natural pill. But we're not really looking at the whole body in those cases or how to improve systemically how we live. So I think this is going to be an intriguing concept. 
I want to step back a little bit and look at the history of mushrooms and their use in this way. Can you give us a little bit more introduction into the Chinese model? I guess that's where we get most of our background from, is from the Chinese? Well, certainly from a medicinal standpoint, the Chinese have probably used mushrooms much longer than anybody else. But there's some really interesting mushrooms that have been used in cultures traditions all over the world for lots of kind of intriguing applications. Many cultures have thought very highly of them. Oftentimes, mushrooms are associated with things like the divine lightning strikes, fairies. They even call them fairy rings. So humans have recognized on one level or another that there's something special and different about mushrooms. Again, these cultures have been using these things dating back thousands, if not 10,000 years. I think there's one statue that was found in Europe that dates back 20,000 years There are records in some of the Egyptian tombs and things where they write about the value of mushrooms. There are Chinese medical texts that date back two, three thousand years. There was actually a frozen cadaver that was found in the Italian Alps of an individual, very high altitude, whose body had fallen into a crevice and died and his body had been frozen. He was actually carrying two or three medicinal mushrooms in his little pouch. So Humans have been using it for a long time, lots of different applications. Cordyceps was used for opium addiction. Some of them really interesting things. You know, there's one called artist conch. Gee, I call it Mother Nature's Etch-a-Sketch kind of thing. Puffballs have been used medicinally by Native Americans. They use them as kind of a talcum powder for diaper rash and things. But again, they are often associated with larger energies and things as we saw the universe. For instance, the puffballs were seen by the, the Blackfoot Indian tribe as fallen stars. So there's this elevation of mushrooms as something special, but I think it really is in traditional Chinese medicine that they took it to a new level where they actually took it, they developed a whole science, so to speak, of it, a healing tradition, rules, guidelines, and I think a very deep, very thorough understanding of these mushrooms beyond, again, just symptomatic relief, but how they actually interacted with the body. And that's one of the things I think that's very special about traditional Chinese medicine. They don't focus just on, did it calm my fever? Did it stop my runny nose? Did it kill this infection? Look at what pathways in the system it worked, what organ systems in the body affected. And it just gives us a very deep, very profound and unique and very special way of, of understanding and then being able to utilize these remedies in a medicinal fashion. Again, think about it. The Chinese have been using cordyceps and reishi for two, three, four, five thousand years. Think about how many people we're talking about. I mean, that's a lot of hands-on experience with these remedies. They have got this long tradition of using and involving them in the healing processes and, again, as tonic remedies. Pretty much empirical evidence. However, we can also say that mushrooms have been scientifically studied as well. So we not only have this long history of usage in traditional medicines, but we also have a scientific rigor, a modern approach where we look at these mushrooms. Certainly in some case, I know that Mushroom Wisdom as a company has been involved with some of the scientific studies as well. So let's talk about that just a little bit. First of all, what kind of a company is Mushroom Wisdom and what's their relationship to some of this scientific inquiry? Well, that's a really good point. I think that's one of the big things that makes mushrooms or medicinal mushrooms such an incredibly promising remedy for us is that we have these hundreds of years of hands-on experience. At the same time, in the last, oh, probably 60 to 70 years, 
there's been a growing body of research initially done primarily in Asia because, again, they've highly prized him for a long time. But more and more research is being done in other places in Europe and in the States and things, uh, and they're exploring. And one of the interesting things that they, they've done in, in a number of studies is they've looked at these traditional uses and traditional applications and said, hey, let's see, are they right? Were they applying these things correctly? Can we find some physiological measurement to look at something that the Chinese said affected the yang or the yin or the qi and things? And they've been able to quantify these things and then put them into studies. They've confirmed the fact that traditional medicine really was right on as far as its applications for many, if not most, and all of these remedies. So we've got this huge body of research that's being incorporated in their conventional medicine now as well, particularly, again, in Asia. And one of the things that actually attracted me to mushroom wisdom in the first place, when I first worked with them, they were known as maitake products because they did primarily the maitake mushroom. Now they do many other mushrooms, so they're now mushroom wisdom. But one of the things that attracted me as a practitioner was the fact that here was this mushroom company, and they were going out and they were doing a lot of clinical research on their own. So they took a mushroom like the maitake mushroom, which is traditionally not a mushroom that's widely used in medicine. It's primarily a really delicious, yummy food. So if anybody ever has a chance to eat it or cook with it, I'd encourage you to give it a try because it's a, a really delicious, rich, earthy mushroom. And they discovered compounds there that have the immune benefits. They discovered the D fraction compound. Later, they discovered a fraction called the SX fraction, and they've done clinical studies on that for type 2 diabetes as well as polycystic ovary syndrome. So they're actually going back and, and trying to put their money where their mouth is, I guess, to a large degree and do the research and discover new applications and new compounds in these mushrooms and really take mushrooms into the 21st century with the science that I think many of Americans today and certainly the practitioners are looking for. Well, it was one of the reasons that I wanted to work with Mushroom Wisdom is the history of the company. Certainly, as you said, they were originally known as maitake products because they focused on the maitake mushroom. And there was some very significant research on that mushroom and that came out of that research. And that they have, as you said, put their money where their mouth is because this is to me, what we need to look at. People want to have confidence that the products that they're taking have been looked at scientifically, that they have a valid reason for taking them, and that it's not just somebody's opinion. The fact that they have invested in this science and identified these very interesting compounds is, of course, one of the primary reasons for wanting to explore those with you. We have a lot of different kinds of mushrooms, and they are not the same, and they don't have the same types of benefits. You've mentioned a few. Let's get kind of an overview of what's the broad range of mushrooms and what have some of the scientific studies shown us. Just give us a taste of those. Well, there are tens of thousands of mushrooms that we know of, and they believe there are tens of, of more thousands out there that we haven't actually discovered yet. Anywhere from 700 to 1,800 mushrooms have actually been reputed to have some sort of medicinal benefit. Several hundred of them have strong immune-stimulating actions. And again, that's how most people tend to think of mushrooms, at least in the West here, is they think of medicinal mushrooms and they think of immune stimulation. And that's certainly the case since you do have hundreds of them that do stimulate the immune response. There are hundreds of them that have been shown to have anti-tumor actions. That really is such a small picture of what they're about. They have a wide array of benefits that go way beyond that. And it, I always find it ironic. You can always find the medicinal mushroom category in a health food store by going to the immune section, and that's where everybody keeps them. 
But you take a mushroom like reishi mushroom, it effectively lowers blood pressure. One of the biggest contributors to doctor's visits, if not the number one contributor to doctor visits in this country, is stress. Reishi is an incredible anti-stress remedy. Many of us are looking for more energy and more lift and drive and vitality. Cordyceps is a wonderful remedy in that regard. So they're bringing a range of things. All the mushrooms that we produce have certainly immune-boosting aspects to them. They all have been shown to have, to one degree or another, some cardiovascular benefits, particularly in lowering cholesterol levels, but some have some more direct actions with them as well. So again, it is an extraordinarily varied array of benefits. And they have different actions and, and applications within that same framework, so you can kind of target different tissues with them. For instance, the Mishima mushroom, which is a fairly new mushroom to the West here, long used in traditional Chinese and Japanese medicine, very powerful immune booster, but it seems to have a, a particular affinity for breast tissue. So there are a number of clinical studies, a growing number of clinical studies that show a lot of promise for use in keeping healthy breasts, in preventing or treating breast cancers, in working as an adjunct therapy to conventional therapies. And again, it works interestingly on a number of different levels, not just by boosting the immune system, seems to have some genetic actions. It seems to induce apoptosis, which is cell death of the cancer cells. It may prevent the cancer cells from feeding themselves on a number of different levels. So that's one of the really interesting nuanced elements of them is that while they all have these immune benefits, they do target other tissues. Taki, reishi, Coriolis mushroom are wonderful mushrooms for the liver. Lion's mane, we have done some real cutting-edge research with the lion's mane mushroom. Hopefully in a later show, we'll talk about it in a lot more detail. Wonderful result in, in three clinical trials for Alzheimer's and dementia, showing improvements in mood, memory, balance, perception. One study even measured wandering. Now they're doing a series of case studies with individuals using the proprietary lion's mane extract called amylobin-3399, for schizophrenia, and I have seen very little natural remedies that have actually been studied in the clinical setting for schizophrenia. So they're bringing a really intriguing and diverse array of actions to the table well beyond just that wonderful immune stimulating action I think most of us know them for. And these, we should say, are the products from Mushroom Wisdom that are being studied. Is that what you're suggesting, that the different fractions that are being identified are being used in these studies? In many of the cases, the studies that we've done with the maitake mushroom as far as cancer treatment, the vast majority of them have been done with Mushroom Wisdom's maitake defraction because that's the compound in there that seems to have the strongest immune stimulating action. Another compound, as I mentioned, in the maitake mushroom called SX fraction, which is, again, a unique product for Mushroom Wisdom. That's the product that they've actually done the studies with, with type 2 diabetes and polycystic ovary syndrome. The lion's mane product and studies that I've referred to have all been done with the amylobin 3399, which is a very strong, very concentrated therapeutic version of a lion's mane extract. So in those regards, those are things that are unique to mushroom wisdom. When we talk about reishi lowering blood pressure or shiitake being good for cholesterol or antiviral, antifungal, these are studies that have just been out there. There are literally hundreds, actually there are thousands of studies that have been done on these mushrooms. So it really depends on the mushroom and the action and things. We're working our way through it, trying to do what we can. When a drug company goes out and does research on a various substance, they can patent that substance so they can get all the money back, hopefully, with that they've invested into that research. But that's not the case with natural remedies. You can't patent these things, certainly a, a use patent like you can with a pharmaceutical. So when we go out and do research on lion's mane for schizophrenia, 
that doesn't stop anybody else from selling Lion's Mane for those same applications. It's always a, a tricky gamble, I guess, to go out and, and support and, and do this research. It's something the company believes in real strongly, and we are really looking for new compounds and new applications for many of these mushrooms. There's a very important point that I like to make sure that my listeners hear, and that is not all products are equal. So not all mushrooms are going to be equal. Not all mushroom extracts are going to be equal. One of the problems that we have is what's called borrowed science. And that's where you do a study on your particular extract and somebody else says, oh, the science says this. And they imply that their product does the same thing when we actually have no evidence that it does. My advice to my listeners is if you want the results that were shown in the studies, then use the products that were used in the studies. Otherwise, you have no assurance that the product that you're buying is effective or even similar. So it is a challenge for consumers in the marketplace. It's a challenge for companies like Mushroom Wisdom because, as you mentioned, research is not cheap. And it's the sign of a good company that's willing to invest into the science to show that its products are effective. So it's important that people understand that there's an integrity behind the product and behind the science that bolsters up what you bring to the table. And part of my mission is to help people understand that there is that distinction. And that's part of why we're talking today. I think that's particularly true that not all products are created equal when you look at botanicals, herbal remedies, which medicinal mushrooms are kind of lumped in, even though technically they're not an herb, because there are significant differences. The quality of the original source material actually can vary dramatically. When we were looking at using the maitake defraction and going into what's called an IND process, an investigational new drug process with the FDA, we were sourcing the product at that time from Japan, and the FDA really likes everything to be done in the U.S. So we actually started looking at domestic sources of the maitake mushroom, and what we found is that they did not have consistent levels of the active compounds in there. So that raw material that's used in the process can make a big difference to where you can actually go and how much of the goodies and everything that are in there. Other things that vary from company to company are the part of the mushroom that is used. For the most part, Mushroom Wisdom uses the fruiting body of the mushroom. This is the above-ground portion of the mushroom. When everybody pictures that nice little button mushroom in their head with a nice stem and cap to it, that's the fruiting body of it. There's actually a kind of a root structure, very fine filament system of mushrooms called the mycelium, which we really never see. And we use, again, the fruiting body because that's, in most cases, where most of the research has been done. And when you look at how these mushrooms have been used in traditional application, it was always using the fruiting body. But a number of companies are using mycelium products. And I'm not saying that they're necessarily bad, but they maybe bring a different set of energetic and benefits to the table. I think the idea of applying traditional aspects of healing and energetics to something that is a completely different part of the, the mushroom in this regard, I, I think is kind of difficult to do. They need to be extracted for the most part, I believe. Mushrooms have a fiber compound in there. It's not cellulose like we find in plants, but it's called chitin. And the simple physiological reality is that the human body does not produce a significant amount of chitin. So when we eat a mushroom, we don't particularly digest it well, particularly if we don't chew our food, we digest it even more poorly but we don't break it down into those finer compounds that we really want to get into our bloodstream, circulating, interacting with our immune cells or other tissues and things in the body. So for that case, you need to take these mushrooms, you need to extract them properly. 
how they're extracted can make a big difference. Using the right medium to pull out those compounds can make a huge difference. For something like the maitake defraction, for instance, we have selectively extracted these beta-glucans from the maitake mushroom because these are the compounds that we know have the greatest benefits as far as boosting immune responses. With the lion's mane mushroom, what we did is we done two particular extractions with it, pulling out compounds that are called hericinones, another compound called amylobin, and we've concentrated them, again, to try to reach that therapeutic protocol level. And again, it takes a very specific, very particular extraction process to work with that. And the other thing that can really vary from mushroom company to mushroom company is the source of the mushrooms, where and how they're grown. There's a big trend in mushroom growing right now. They just want to produce as much as they possibly can, as cheaply as they can, turn it over, just get as much mushroom out there as possible. Problem with that is that they're growing them indoors, they're growing them in basically factory-like settings, and you end up with something that's very different. And the analogy I use is tomatoes. Anybody who's ever had a garden and grown their own tomatoes knows that what they pull out of their garden is hugely different than these hydroponically grown supermarket store tomatoes. They're different in constituents, they're different in energetics, the flavor, nutritional content. They're just very, very different substances. And the same goes, I think, for how these mushrooms are grown. When we use our mushrooms, three of the mushrooms, we actually wildcraft in, in their natural habitat. The Mishima mushroom, the Chaga mushroom, we actually get from Siberian birch trees, and the turkey tail or Coriolis mushroom. So we pick them in their natural habitat. So they bring all their natural gifts and everything to the table that that natural habitat provides. With the mushrooms that we cultivate, we try to grow them or mirror the growing in a manner that is very similar to how those mushrooms would be growing in the wild. For instance, some of our mushrooms, like the reishi mushroom, we actually grow on logs because that's where the reishi mushrooms would be growing if you found it growing out in a forest, in a jungle or something. It would be growing on a wood base, so we grow them on logs. Now, we also grow them in what I call a very rough, natural environment, and some of them are literally grown in thatched huts. And the reason that is is because... You're trying to mirror how they'd be growing in a forest, in a wooded thing. So light would be filtered through, the rain would be filtered through, it would get cold at night. All the different things, that taxing and straining and stress that goes on the mushroom is really important to that mushroom's, for lack of a better word, that mushroom's defense system. So they need to be taxed and strained, just like the human body does. Our immune system never comes across a bug or virus or anything. We never develop that hardy, strong immune system. And the same goes for mushrooms. So growing them in that natural habitat is a really key part of the process. So that's kind of a long-winded uh, agreement with your statement that not all products are created equal. And I think that is particularly true with botanicals and even more so when you look at most of the medicinal mushrooms. It's a big problem. And what we find is, as I work with companies in the industry, there's a top tier of companies. And what they do is they always are looking to how can we make the best most effective product. And so when you look at, say, the original sources of these nutrients, sure, we can reproduce some things, but it doesn't necessarily mean those things function as well as the original. And if you think it does, or if you think a different part of the plant is effective, then you have to have some evidence that, in fact, that's the case. And you would think, if we look back over the thousands of years that people have been using mushrooms, if those underground mycelium parts were of value, they would have discovered that because they would have used everything. So through the use of these products over centuries, 
people discovered what were the best parts of the plant, which gave the best results. And so to go to those parts of the plant and in the environments that they grow, that to me shows a commitment to what it is that actually makes these things so special. It's not that we can reproduce it and it looks the same like the tomato, but it's not the same and we all know that experience, it's the same thing with these other natural compounds. So I think you, your long-winded answer was a very good one because it really helped explain why there are these differences. And it's why, again, I reiterate, if you want the best results and you want the results that were shown from the studies, then use those products. And that's what I'm happy that we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks Many of these individual mushrooms that have become part of the Mushroom Wisdom line. And you've really piqued my interest with just what you said about a few of them in terms of the, like the amylobin and the extract and the studies. So these are all very exciting things that we're going to learn and benefit from what Mushroom Wisdom is doing. Do I understand that some of the products have been used adjunctively in medical therapies in Japan, that this is part of what they commonly do or sometimes do? Absolutely. In Japan, as well as in China, in both countries, there are particular extracts from two mushrooms, one the shiitake mushroom, the other the coriolis or turkey tail mushroom, that they actually developed pharmaceutical drugs from, and they even have injectable forms of it. So up until very recently, I think the number one selling anti-cancer or cancer treatment in Japan was actually an extract from the Coriolis mushroom. So these are things that have been used. They're accepted. They're part of the process. They're made by pharmaceutical companies. They're made in a very purified and injectable form of it, which we certainly wouldn't be using here. So they do have a lot of long hands-on experience working with or inside conventional medicine that they don't really see Coriolis as adjunct therapy, it is part of the regular treatment. And there are some real intriguing benefits to medicinal mushrooms as adjunct therapies. Coriolis mushroom, the Mishima mushroom actually is a good example of this. The researchers at the Research Institute in Indianapolis, Methodist Research Center there, when they looked at the Mishima mushroom and used it in conjunction with conventional cancer therapies for breast cancer, they actually suggested that it was so effective at potentiating the benefits of the conventional therapy they suggested that you could probably use a much smaller dose of chemotherapy, use it in conjunction with Mishima mushroom, and you would get the same benefit that a much larger dose of chemotherapy would give. And anybody who's gone through chemotherapy, anybody who's had a loved one or someone close to them have to go through it, they know that that therapy is extraordinarily taxing and straining on the body. So to be able to possibly get the same benefit at a much lower, less destructive dose thing to me, is a hugely promising gift, and that's the case for a couple of these mushrooms. They've also been shown to decrease the negative side effects significantly. Hair loss, pain, nausea, vomiting, decreases in red and white blood cells, all have been shown to be improved significantly when you use some of these mushrooms in conjunction with conventional therapy. And it's nice, again, to have all this clinical interaction in Asia in particular where they're actually using them in settings with these therapies so we can feel a little more confident in combining these different treatment protocols. It's very important for consumers to have confidence in the products that they're taking, knowing that they're safe, knowing that they're effective, knowing that they're likely to be of benefit. That's what we're trying to reveal here is that there is significant benefit to be found. And how do we know that? 
We have a long history, but these days history is not enough. And now we have good science and we have good clinical applications. So we have a lot of reason to have confidence in these mushrooms and what they might do for us. And that's what we're going to discuss over the next few weeks. We're going to get into a little more detail of the science and the history of some of these individual mushrooms, the ones that have shown the greatest amount of benefit. And you've mentioned them here, the lion's mane, the maitake, and so on. But we're not going to cover those in detail today. In fact, we're very near the end of our time here. And I want to give you the last word. Is there anything that we didn't cover today that you'd like to make sure our listeners hear as part of this introductory series? Because there is so much information out about it. There's all this hands-on experience and everything with the science that we're bringing to the table. I would really just encourage people to go online, do a little searching for yourselves. They can go to a website called bioupdate.org and look at a site that has nothing but medicinal mushroom research posted on it. If they want to go to a really technical, huge site called PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D, which is an incredible site for anybody who's looking for the science behind any remedy, whether it be conventional medicine or even alternative medicine, this is a government-funded site that utilizes something like 40 or 50,000 different medical journals around the world and brings them all together. So you can search shiitake mushroom, you can search tremella mushroom, you can search Mishima mushroom and breast cancer, and you can see the significant amount of research that's there. And I, I would just really encourage people to take a little time and look at a little bit of that research because there is an incredible bit out there. Mushrooms are really much more than a topping for our pizzas or on top of our salad. Even just our visual idea of what a mushroom is is very different. It comes in all shapes, all sizes. In fact, one of the largest organisms on the planet is a mushroom that's grown in the Northwest, and it covers something like 20,000 acres. Another mushroom has been shown to be over 1,500 years old. I think all the preconceived notions of what we have about mushrooms and medicinal mushrooms will probably be dispelled as we look at some of these mushrooms individually and we see some of this amazing healing gift that mushrooms bring to the table. And I guess the last thing I would really add is I think the one thing that really sets mushrooms apart in the healing category is that these are transformative remedies. These are remedies that can transform not just your being, but your essence, your spirit, particularly when you look at something like the reishi mushroom. So uh, they bring some real intriguing uh, and necessary healing, I think, to the individual and I think to the world at large. I agree with you, and it's why I'm excited to be doing this series of interviews with you, Mark. I look forward to our next one, which will be in just a few days. Well, Mark Kaler, Vice President of Research and Education for Mushroom Wisdom. It's been very interesting. As I said, I'm really looking forward to this series and to speaking with you again shortly. Thank you for having me, and I'm looking forward to further conversation. All right, Mark. Until then, take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. If you would like more information on mushrooms, these individual mushrooms, or the company Mushroom Wisdom, you can go to the various websites, mushroomwisdom.com. You can go to the Bio Research Update website. That link is on the homepage. It's bioupdate.com. You can also go to PubMed, the Government Clearinghouse for Clinical Studies. There are many references to these nutraceutical and medicinal mushrooms. So there are plenty of scientific references for you to look at if you have any questions about the benefits that have been shown in the science for these specific particular mushrooms and the extract compounds that have been developed from them. 
So I encourage you, learn more about the value of these mushrooms and especially these clinically studied mushrooms and mushroom extracts that we've talked about here on HealthQuest Podcast. Well, that's it for me. I'm all out of time. I've got to go. I'll be back with another interesting interview with Mark Kaler. Our next episode will be looking specifically at the benefits of the maitake mushroom. I hope you'll join me. Until then, make it a good week. This is Steve Lankford. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye. <music>